So, happy new year, hearty souls. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. I have an idea for the new year for you from none other than uh, Oxford Don Clive Staples Lewis. Uh, He said this, after reading a new book, never allow yourself to read another one until you have read an old one in between. After reading a new book, never allow yourself to read another one until you read an old book in between. Now, speaking of old books, I went down a fascinating old book rabbit hole this week in preparation for teaching this lovely section of Scripture that, that Jesse uh, just read, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. It is embedded, if you recall, because we're picking up our series on finishing faithful in 1 Peter, it's embedded in, in a letter that, Paul, that Peter wrote to people who were facing difficulty, hardship, persecution, suffering, and it, and it specifically addresses life together when you're going through hard times, and that made me think of this book that I read when I was young because somebody told me it was good by a German uh, pastor who lived through First and Second World Wars named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called Life Together. And this rabbit hole that I did in research, you know, you, you start to read this, and the, the internet helps because it's all stuck together. You know, you go from one thing to another to another to another, and you find sometimes the most Well, you find the silliest and stupidest things there, but you also could find some of the most profound and interesting things. And this is what I did, and I'm going to impose some of this on you in the next half hour. Did you ever ask yourself the question, why didn't Christians oppose Hitler in Germany? Where was the church and where were the Christians? You ever ask yourself the question, why didn't the church stand up and do something? Did you you ever wonder about that? I think Germany was... Christian, there's 60% Catholic, 40% Protestant. Where were the Christians when Hitler was doing what he did? And many of them compromised. Stories are epic. But there are other stories, you know, there are other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was such a man, he he was a leader in what they called the Confessing Church, which was the Resistance Church. Bonhoeffer, uh, they, they shut down the seminaries. They shut down the official working of the church and freedom, and they shut down the seminary. So Bonhoeffer started an underground seminary, a secret seminary with a handful of young men. He lived in community, wasn't married yet, lived in community with these young men. And in that context, in the context of suffering and hardship and difficulty and persecution, lethal persecution, he wrote this book about life together. It's interesting because it's a lot like what Peter did. In this book, he said, you're going to be going through these things. Here is a, here's how you should behave. And it's almost a staccato list of imperatives. Do this and do this and do this. what we saw today. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's a little bit like what Bonhoeffer did in his book, Life Together, a handful of chapters. But it's, very, it's very similar. Bonhoeffer had the opportunity to pastor in America or in Great Britain. He could have... Um, could have done that, but he chose to go to Germany and stay there because he wanted to have a ministry afterward in rebuilding. He cared. He loved the German church. So he was a, he was a very faithful man. And so was Peter, a faithful man. Christian history tells us Peter was crucified. Now, the man who wrote this book, they say he, would, he refused to be crucified 
right side up like Jesus was crucified upside down. Some, some tradition says he, his wife was crucified as well and that he had to watch her die. This isn't in the Bible. It's interesting church history. Bonhoeffer, I will refer to him a few times today. He wrote this, to be Christian does not mean to be religious in a particular way or to make something of oneself. Sinner, penitent, saint, on the basis of some method or other, or to be a man, he says man, man or woman, not a type of man or woman, but the man that Christ creates in us. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not the religious act that makes us Christian. Here's what he said. It is participation in the sufferings of God in our secular life. It's interesting. Peter was going to say to the people, you're about to be drawn into suffering in your regular life. You're going to have to. And I think that most perceptive Christian leaders today are saying the same thing. Be ready to suffer in your day-to-day life. Things are going to be demanded of you that Christians cannot do. Things are going to be forbidden that Christians are commanded to do by the Lord that you, that you can't do. And, and, and there's, t- there's probably a time coming for us maybe for our, our children. But we want to make sure the war we're in is just, right? There's that theory about just war. And, and often, you know, it's cited and wars aren't just. And, and, and uh, all wars aren't holy wars. You don't have to, I mean, you know, can I just briefly mention masks and vaccines just briefly? And we're, we're ready to have a holy war over that? I don't want to stay here long, and I'm not picking on you if you're masked or unmasked or vaccinated or unvaccinated, because the Bible actually doesn't directly address that, you may have noticed. But it is interesting how people are ready to take up arms, ready to go to war over something the scriptures don't talk about. I I read about a guy, I won't stay here long, relax. Uh, He had a shirt on that said, I'm unvaccinated, I'm coming for Thanksgiving, and I'm ready to argue. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed at that. I'm glad you laughed at that. Sometimes we're just ready to stand up for our rights when the the scriptures are silent about them. And then I'm afraid that sometimes the the things that the scriptures command that are hard, we're ready to compromise on those things. I mean, that's something that we should probably think about. Why do Christians suffer? This is a theme in Peter. You'll see it especially from verse 12 on. It's very keen. Chapter 4, verse 12 is the heart of this, but we're not getting there today. But he's going to say it. He's going to say, make sure when you suffer, it's for righteousness sake. Because it's possible to suffer just because you're ignorant or dumb or stubborn or prejudiced or sinful in some way. He doesn't say it like that. He uses other, other words. But why do Christians suffer? Well, sometimes they suffer because they're doing good. But sometimes they suffer because they're doing evil. And Peter's going to say that. Sometimes we run into trouble because we're petty. And we're they're defending our personal preferences. Other times, it's because we're standing on conviction based on clear biblical commands, but we have to be sure. This is what Peter is going to say. We need to be sure we know which is which. He's going to say that. Sometimes we're persecuted for our our mistakes or our errors or our sins or our just general being an irritating person. Ironically, it is common to be willing to suffer for opinions and unwilling to suffer for things that Jesus has commanded. So, can I call us to faithfulness on that and call us to self-examination? Is it not appropriate to just call us to just examine ourselves and say, wait a minute, is this ground holy ground? Is this war a holy war? 
Pastor uh, Nathaniel Bronner is a friend of mine, dear friend. He's a pastor in Atlanta. I happen to, I watch him every once in a while. He's a unique speaker and preacher and leader. And he's trying to lead his people through the whole COVID pandemic. And he's a very good pastor. He's very thoughtful about it. In their church, it's kind of cute. He says, if you come to our church, we're going to give you the, what's the mask called? The N19 or the, or whatever, the, there's a special, that 95. I knew that. And, and he said, we'll give you one of those masks. Every week you need one of those, we'll give you one of those. You can take it home. We'll give you another, you know, so it's like, we're, we'll, and he said, he's, he's a health, healthy dude. He's uh, my age, he looks like a teenager. He's a super, like he hiked that, what's that trail in, in Spain, the, the pilgrimage trail? Educated people, you know this. I don't remember the name of it. He hiked that like, like it was nothing. He was like taking pictures of himself walking and actually talking. Well, I walk, I'm like, I can't walk and talk at the same time. He really, and he says, when you come to our church, we're going to give you a healthy smoothie. It's going to have vitamin D in it and whatever. And I thought it was sort of cute. But here's something else he said. He said, now listen, if you think you're going to get COVID and, you know, and you're going to, you know, uh, dangerous and you feel like you need to stay home, you know, that's fine. He said, do that. But if you go see Spider-Man where everybody's all crunched in there and you're going out to the restaurant, don't tell me Jesus is your God because he isn't. Okay, that was real special. So anyway, take that. My son, my son Kyle's a pastor, and he ran into some people that hadn't been attending church. And he said, oh, hey, they were, out in, they were out shopping. And he ran into them out there shopping and said, hey, good to see you. And they said, good to see you too. Wait, well, Kyle's like, we missed you. They're like, yeah, you know, COVID, you know. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's a serious thing. You know, it is serious. I'm not making light. He goes, well, yeah. And he, he just kind of listened to them. And they go, yeah, we, we've been, you know, watching online because of COVID. They said, well, they're out in public talking. And, he, and they said, and he goes, oh, okay, yeah. And they go, no, we won't be back next week because we're going to Disneyland. Um, and then they go, oh, I guess we should get back to church, shouldn't we? And Kyle's just like, whatever you said, you know. Um, what, what am I getting at? Paul, Peter gets to the same point. I mean, not with the mask and the COVID thing, you know, I'm not picking on that. You, you hear me doing that. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's a quote from the Bible. What I'm saying is, Peter is saying, make sure that when you suffer, you're suffering for good, not for evil. But he didn't say that in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. He's going to say it in verse 12, so I'm just getting ahead of myself. But how do we react under pressure? And how do we behave under pressure? And what do we do, especially together, when these pressures come, our persecution comes? Sometimes it can be like members of the same team fighting each other. Or it can be like firefighters bickering over which ladder they're going to use while little children are perishing in the upstairs bedroom. Or it can be like a family that loves each other getting together having such dysfunction. They're fussing with one another. So much more beautiful, isn't it? Oh, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, in, and that's what is good. When you are in trouble, you're going to need other people to hang out with who can encourage you and help you. You want to be that people. This is what Peter's going to say in this, these few verses. We could put it under the heading, how to treat one another when the pressure is on. Or life together when under pressure. Notice in verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. You have to understand this in the whole sweep of uh, the way God looks at time. The section in which that, you know, when we look back to Bible times, we think that was so long ago. Because our lives are so short, that seems like it was so long ago. 
when God looks at the world, you have the end of all things is at hand. Here's the end times. Between the advents is the end times. And it's upon them. It's upon us. We're in that. One more C.S. Lewis, and then I will leave the poor man alone. He's been moldering in the grave for a while. Um, he, he was in the voyage of the dawn treader. He's having a conversation uh, and with Lucy. Um, and she says, will it be soon? Will it be soon? And Aslan, you know, who's the picture of Jesus in, in, the, in the book, says, I call all times soon. Yes, soon. Now we're in the end time. For Peter, it was the end of all things is at hand. For us, we don't know when our lives will end, when the Lord will return, but we know we're in the end times. This is what the scriptures say between the advents. That's how the scriptures define it. And so there is this sense of um, urgency. There's a sense of this is serious, so we should be self-controlled and sober so that our prayers are powerful. This is what verse 7 says. We know the end of all things at hand. This would be, is that we need to be self-controlled and we need to be sober so our prayers aren't, aren't hindered. This isn't the only time Peter mentions the importance of when you're going through trouble, make sure that you're, you're praying since, therefore, um, uh, Christ, this is in verse uh, 1, suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer human passions, no longer for human passions, but for, for the will of God. For the time is past, uh, the, the time, for, that, for the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached to even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. To get it in the context, I'm not getting drunk, carrying on like that. You're going to answer to God if you do that. Be self-controlled. Be sober. This is serious stuff. And specifically why? He's going to say, for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers. Bonhoeffer was a pacifist. He, was, he, he, he wasn't sure what he was, but he leaned toward pacifism, which is interesting because he also later participated in a, in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, so an enigma in a fascinating book by Eric Metaxas, um, he talks about this. He, he must have wrestled with attention uh, among enemies and among friends, the tension among churchmen, you know, you, we've seen a little example of a little minor uh, inconvenience and how it can divide Christians. This is what Bonhoeffer saw in Germany. Christians were sharply divided, and he, was, he chose the confessing church, and, and he said this about prayer. Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. In other words, if we don't pray, if we don't pray for each other, we, we die. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. This is good. His face 
his face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. It's a powerful book because he was living through that very thing. People would die because of this. This was a life and death thing in, in Nazi Germany. So during times of hardship, Peter is going to say, be self-controlled and be sober and be prayerful. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So that's verse 7. Now verse 8, above all, the next thing would be keep loving earnestly. Or in the NIV, I think it says love deeply. Sincere and earnest love is going to be vital during the times of hardship that we're going to face. We're going to need to learn to love each other sincerely and deeply. This immediately made me think, what about me? Do I do that? Do I, do I really love people sincerely without mixed motives? What do you think? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Is my love compl- is it, is it completely pure? Are my motives unmixed in my love? Answer, no. My motives are a zoo of confusion. I'm sure yours are pure and clean, but mine are like, I don't, I'm not even sure sometimes altogether. Okay, I want to give you a personal word about this. What do you do when you're not sure that your love is entirely sincere and deep and meaningful? What do you do? Here's what I do, because this is something I've always faced. I'm like, I yield myself to the Lord, and I say, Lord, you're, you're allowed. Of course, he's allowed to do whatever he wants, but I welcome you to do in my life whatever you need to do to make me pure and clean and holy. And then things happen that I don't like. And it's like the Lord said, you know, your prayer about this is that. I'm here to help you. I'm cleaning up your motives right now. Does this help you? This helps me so much. I say, oh, Lord, I, I, I confess. Cord Tenboom, she, she uh, Holly, on the, uh, flying here, sat next to a Dutch lady and asked her if she knew Cord Tenboom. And the lady knew of Cord Tenboom, read all of her books, and she was a, a Dutch lady. was kind of cool. Um, and was a devout believer, as Corey was, of course. And, you know, Corey said she, people give her a lot of accolades, and, and they give her a lot of compliments, and they're kind to her. And somebody said to her one time, how do you handle that? And she said, well, it's hard. You know, she says, I, I, I gather them up like flowers. Every compliment, every kind thing people say, I gather them up like flowers. I put them in a big vase. And then at the end of the day, I offer them all to the Lord. I don't know if that strikes a chord with you, but for me, I, like when I, when I preach and somebody says, that was helpful to me, that makes me happy. And I feel good about that. If somebody says it was too long, then I know they're a spiritual pygmy and they're not really a godly person. You know, I'm kidding. Uh, but if they were to criticize me, then I'd, it'd be harder. And I find myself like, wow, that's interesting. I wonder if my motives are pure. The Holy Spirit says, they're not. I'm like, okay, Lord, then I love you and here's my here's my service. You do with it what you will, and if you need to work on me, I understand. Get it? So let me move on, but, 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 but remind you before I do that what Peter says here is hardship is coming, so you need to be self-controlled and sober and pray, and your love needs to be real. The love needs to be real. You're going to need to love each other deeply, real love, and, and if you're not convicted about that, I'm nervous about you. So it's good to be convicted. You should come to church and get convicted every once in a while. Am I right? And so there's that. 
Bonhoeffer, as I mentioned, had opportunities to teach and preach in America. He traveled to America, studied at Union Theological Seminary. It's an interesting story. Went to a church, found, had a profound, deep, may have even been saved. He said he had a profound experience, not in the seminary where he studied, where they were kind of dabbling with theological liberalism, and he couldn't stand that. But because he went to an African-American church, and he listened to the preaching, and he said he had a profound experience with the Lord in that African-American church that changed his life. I'll explain that a little bit later if we, if we get time. But look at verse 9. So you had there in verse 8, above all, love one another earnestly, because love covers all kinds of sins, multitude of sins. And then verse 9, show, which is corollary to this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It doesn't just mean that you're good at serving tea to people. Hospitality might look different than that, will look different depending on your gifting. It might mean you help people put on back brakes. It might be you get you use your car to pull somebody out of the ditch. It might mean you take a guy to breakfast when he lost his job and you buy. You know, it, it just could look a lot of different ways. And it says when hardship comes, you're going to have lots of opportunities to share. You know, they, their washer isn't working. They're out of work. You find them a washer. You buy them a wash. You know, you do this a lot, Bethel people. I love you for this. I see it a lot. You don't always announce it. That's wonderful. This is what Peter's saying. When hardship comes, we're going to have to show hospitality. And don't grumble, Jesse, like what you did yesterday. Um, so, you know, I was going to throw you under the bus on this, right? So we go and get coffee, and you, this is like you're laughing, so that's a good thing. We go and get coffee, and, and we order our coffees, and the lady says, we don't want your money because the people in front of you paid for it. And I was like, oh, isn't that sweet? A tear in my eye. Jesse's like, how much is the people behind us? And he, <laughs> and he was like, they had two coffees, frowsy coffees that cost more than our three coffees. And Holly's like, pay for him. He's like, well, theirs was more than ours. Anyway, he was, he's a generous guy. I shouldn't even be saying this. But I said, this is great because you walked into my, my sermon illustration trap and you, gave, you, you're, you grumbled in your hospitality. Anyway, that was the last time he's going to buy me coffee. Uh, the temptation is to go, okay, I'll do this for you. And sorry, Jesse, by the way. Okay, I'll do this for you, but, but I'm going to, you know, I, wanna, I want you to acknowledge how hard it was for me. And I love it, the practicality of what Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's good. Sorry, Jesse. I was completely out of order there. Um, and then verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he says, he's going to say then, um, it, show hospitality without grumbling. Neil Veit came in an office one day. He'd been to um, Olivet, Nazarene College's granddaughter was there, and he heard a guy give a speech, and he gave it to me. I, I, I confirmed this with him. He said, the, the guy said in the speech, he said, three, he had three points. He said, serve where you are, do what you can, use what you have. I think this is kind of the heart of what Peter is saying. Just take whatever gift you have, wherever you are, wherever the need is, and do what you can. You may do something heroic, but probably not. You may do something historic, but probably not. Just show love that's real 
and exercise hospitality and don't grumble about it and use the gift that you have with the people that have a need in your life and, and, and actually love one another. And what's interesting is Bonhoeffer wrote about this as well. He, he said, um, he, and he must have had this experience because nobody would, I don't, I don't think really, of course, you know, we, they, they would write like this unless they'd actually been through this. Bonhoeffer, again, felt like he was obligated to act when he saw the evil of what Hitler was doing, and he did participate as a double agent, as a spy. They criticized him for not enlisting, but then he enlisted, but he enlisted, and he was a double agent, and he participated actively in a couple plots to assassinate Hitler that failed. Um, but it's probably his enduring work was not that work, but it was with the work with the Confessing Church and with the underground seminary. And by the way, he conducted himself when he was put into a concentration camp. He said, don't idealize the church. And this struck home with me because I can do this. It, it, you know, sometimes we get disappointed. It's like, well, it's not perfect. And this is, a, this is almost the theme of, you want to get a book published today, just write about how bad the church is and they'll publish your book. You know, it's like, this is the thing to do today. Criticize pastors and churches and churches and Christians and, and that kind of thing. Here's what he said about that. I, f- I found that interesting. God hates visionary dreaming, he said. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community and demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself, he enters into the community of Christians with his demands. He sets up his own law. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. And then when things don't go his way, he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, and then the accuser of God, and finally a despairing accuser of himself. You get what he's saying? He's saying, don't have a picture of an ideal church. Just go love the people you know. Don't force this picture of an ideal church on everybody. We're all just broken sinners. I thought that was so helpful. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the, and he said this, listen, the person who loves those around him will create community. And I found that really interesting because just, just recently I was praying, thinking about that. I just felt like the Lord said, just love people. Just love them. You know, you, you can do something heroic or you can do something historic, but probably not. But you can go love somebody. Isn't that good? I, I thought that was so, that's what Peter said. That's what Bonhoeffer said. And then, and then he also said in verse 10, to use our gifts to serve and to steward. It, 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 one more thing. Bonhoeffer goes to Abyssinian Baptist Church and he has a profound experience with God. May have gotten saved then. Maybe just had a deepening, but he had a life-changing, deepening experience in this African-American church. And here's what he would say about that. From then on, I always saw, how did he put it? I, I saw things from below like I never had before. In other words, from the perspective of an oppressed people. What, what if the true vision of the world we're in is the vision from the perspective of oppressed people? He said it changed his life. And he went back to Germany determined to serve an oppressed people because of his experience there. It's pretty fascinating if you read it. There's a lot to Metaxas' book is fascinating on this. But this is what Peter is saying too. He's just saying, as you receive the gift, use it to serve one another as a good steward of God's varied grace. In other words, God gives various gifts and you're a steward of them. And your job is to take the gifts and grace other people. Is what you did a gift? Is what you said a gift? Is what you withheld, kept from saying a gift? Isn't that good? That's super helpful to me. Practical, practical stuff. Going through hardship, okay, be sober, be serious, be prayerful, and then be sincere in your love. 
and use the gifts that you have with the people that are there. Isn't this good, simple, straightforward? Sometimes we go, oh, we read all these theories and we're just left with, I don't even know what to do. That's not the way the Bible is written. The Bible is like, go love people now. Go pray for people now. Be sincere. And by the way, thank you for the cookies. <laughs> just want to say that. Some of you people can make cookies that are made, they're hard to get home. They don't always make it home. <laughs> Margaret asked me, how did you like the pumpkin bread? I said, it was good, but it never made it home. Which is a ploy to get more sometimes. But anyway, that's, uh, that's just what God wants you to do. If you can make pumpkin bread, it's God's will for your life. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, verse 11, of course, he says this, and it's profound. He says, speak as the oracles of God. I love this. Um, Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. That's mysterious, isn't it? What's that? What's that mean? Well, one thing is, you ever sit in a restaurant somewhere and hear old guys just solving the world's problems? They're kind of like Archie Bunker. I'll tell you what I would do if I was the president. I'd just straighten this place out. And nobody would get away with that. And they're like, your wife doesn't even listen to you, bro. Your kids don't like you. The only reason that you come down here is because it's the only place where people will listen to you talk. I'm probably overstating that, right? Don't, don't just shoot your mouth. Like, sometimes people go, I just, say, I just say what I think. I just tell people what I think. What Peter is saying, when things get hard, don't go around telling people what you think. Don't open your mouth until you can say what God says. You speak as the oracles of God. Don't just go off shooting your mouth. You know, that's why people love Judge Judy. She can just shoot off her mouth and say whatever she wants. That's why people love John Wayne, or they love John Wayne. He could just like say whatever he wanted to say. That's why we like Denzel Washington and the Equalizer. Because if you mess with him, he's going to kill you right away. And he's going to take, he could do it in 30 seconds. Not going to take a long time. 30 seconds. They can put a lot of killing in one movie if you can do a lot of it in 30 seconds. Peter's saying, no, that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is you say, you, you, you actually, you know what's implied in this text? As I studied this this week, you know what's implied in the text is not speaking. It's not speaking. It's like, don't talk until you know. I mean, this is serious. We're going through struggles and problems and people are having trouble. Don't talk until you know what you're saying is Bible stuff, oracles of God. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God implies he listens a lot. Um, here's what Bonhoeffer said about listening. There's a kind of listening with a half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It's an impatient, inattentive listening. I know you've never done this, right? Um, that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. <laughs> um, this is no fulfillment of our obligation. And it's certain that here too, our attitude toward our brother only reflects our relationship to God. And little wonder that we're no longer capable of the greatest service of listening that God has committed to us, that of hearing our brother's confession, if we refuse to give ear to our brother in lesser subjects, secular education today is aware that often a person can be helped merely by having someone listen to them seriously. And upon this insight, it has constructed its own soul therapy, which has attracted great numbers of people, including Christians. But Christians have forgotten the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who was himself the great listener whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. And that just had the ring of authenticity to me. 
a pastor, and this is a free one I'll throw in while I was reading this. It was like, oh, a pastor, he said, should never complain about his congregation. Certainly never to other people, but not to God. The congregation has not been entrusted to him in order that he should become his accuser before God and men. Eugene Peterson, a Wynn Collier, who's over in West Michigan, wrote a biography of Eugene Peterson that is really a good biography. And what, what impressed me is that Eugene Peterson is well known for speaking and especially for writing. He's super well known for what he says and what, what he's with the Lord now, but what he said and what he wrote. He's super known for what he said and what he wrote. But in the authorized biography of Eugene Peterson by Wynn Collier, over and over again, he says, Eugene Peterson refused to give <laughs> advice. Um, I read that, I was like horrified. Like, I thought that's what us pastors were supposed to do. Welcome to my office. Now here I am with my endless advice. They said he would irritate people because he couldn't, you couldn't get him to give you advice. He would just listen. I have to admit, you know, this is true confession time. I have to admit, I was like, oh, I think I might be doing something wrong sometime. He profoundly influenced people by listening to them. That's interesting. I really believe that this is what Paul, Peter is implying here. When you speak, speak as things are, don't just go shooting off your mouth when hard times are coming and you just think this and that and the other thing, your opinion. We don't need to know your opinion right now. This is a hard time. We need to know what God says about stuff. Otherwise, just listen and be quiet. And that's a good word. And finally, and chiefly, and in profound, um, profound uh, conclusion here, he has this, this gorgeous uh, pay on a praise, finally in all things, glory to God. He says, by the strength that God supplies you serve, so you speak and you serve, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you, you should, you know, based on these few verses that we just were talking about, one could ask oneself three questions. When you're thinking about how to behave, with other believers in particular during hard times or even toward your family, question number one would be, is this the right way to treat other people? That's what verses 7 through 10 say. It's 7 through first part of 11. And then the second thing implied would be, does this glorify God? And the third thing was, does this show honor to Jesus Christ? Bonhoeffer wrote another book called The Cost of Discipleship. This is the one I read first. Famously, he says, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Prepare to suffer. And they put Bonhoeffer in prison, in, in a concentration camp. And he was faithful to write, to speak, to preach. Faithful to, he, he was on the radio, and they cut his radio broadcast off. They eventually sent the Gestapo for him. They put him in a concentration camp. And on the 9th of April in 1945, one month before his concentration camp was liberated, they hanged him and they cremated him and his remains were mixed with the remains of others who died in the concentration camp, but he suffered well and he died faithful. He finished faithful. A student and a friend, uh, Eberhard Bethage, she said of Bonhoeffer's death, he writes of a man who saw the execution 
I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor and praying fervently to God. And I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain that God heard his prayer. And at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, and then he climbed a few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have never seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. So here we have a little list from Peter of things we should do when things get hard. Unless we end in frustration, I'd like to remind you what Tim Keller said. This is what the text says. This is what the text means. This is what the text demands of us. But we cannot do it. But there is one who did. And through faith in Christ, we can move forward in obedience to the Lord together. So.